All right, we're going to be in Matthew 26 today. If you've got a Bible or some kind of technology, open it up to Matthew 26. When you get it, say, got it. All right, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be looking at the first 13 verses in Matthew chapter 26 today. Starting in verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful that your word has been preserved. Thankful that this interaction between you and this woman was recorded for us. Lord, we want to get everything out of this that you have for us. So we ask that you would speak to us. And church, as we're praying, just kind of in your own mind and heart, just say to the Lord, Lord, speak to me. Talk to me today. My ears are open. We open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our souls to receive all that you have for us. I surrender my words, Lord. I don't, I don't want to just talk with, try to talk with eloquent words or something. I don't, I don't really have eloquent words. We want you to speak to us. We ask that you would do that today, however you please, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so for the last three years, uh, Jesus has been teaching a lot of things, Right? But Matthew 25 that we ended last week was the culmination of all the teachings of Jesus. As Matthew notes in verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all of these things, Jesus is not going to be teaching anymore. However, some of the loudest things that are spoken through the life of Jesus are yet to come, eventually culminating with his death and resurrection. And that is where Jesus is heading two days after this. He's warned the multitudes about the corrupt religious leadership. He's spoken to his disciples about the things that have to come, have been, are, are to come. He has healed brokenness throughout the land. He has disrupted the broken system of the law, and it's almost time for him to fulfill his work in dying and rising from the dead. But before that, he goes to a little dinner party. I told you the other week, Jesus is always eating. That's why, part of why I just love Jesus. Always food. 
He goes to this dinner party at this guy's house named Simon the leper. We don't know anything about Simon the leper. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about him. We can assume, though, that he was a leper that had been healed by Jesus. Because if he had not been healed, he wouldn't have been permitted to have people at his house. And also, the disciples are there, it says. And from John's parallel account in John 12, we see that not just the disciples, not just Simon the leper, not just Jesus, but also Lazarus, who had been risen from the dead. Jesus had risen from the dead, and Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And John tells us that it was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who's actually the woman here with the alabaster flask of very costly oil. Now, little side note for those of you guys who are like discerning and study the Bible. This is not the same Mary or the same alabaster flask from Luke 7, where it says the woman of sin who most believe was a prostitute. That happened in Galilee, like really far away from Jerusalem, a couple of years before this week. This happened in Bethany, right outside of Jerusalem, two days before Jesus died with Mary, the sister of Lazarus. This story that we just read, that we're going to study today, it involves a a broken flask. And as we'll see, Jesus is going to redeem the whole thing, the breaking, and make it into something beautiful. But it's noteworthy that this has been part of the narrative of the whole ministry of Jesus leading up to this point. Jesus heals broken things and flips them on their head. Jesus turns broken lives upside down. We see it as he healed lepers, taking this horrific disease and turning it into a conquering, a conquered foe. Flipping it on its head, he raises Lazarus from the dead, turning the, 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 the sting of death or the foe of death, turning it on its head as he conquers death. He enters into the city just a few days before this as people are crying out, Hosanna, King Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, not on a horse, on a donkey, turning the idea of power and authority on its head. And then he enters into the temple and he flips over the tables of the money changers that were preventing people from coming to worship God, turning the idea of holiness and access to God entirely on its head. He breaks the whole broken religious system of the day. Brokenness was always the plan. But not just brokenness for the sake of brokenness, but brokenness for the sake of setting free what was on the other side of the brokenness. The title of this sermon is The Fragrance of Brokenness. So there they are at the house of Simon the leper, and Jesus is reclining at the table. If you don't know, this is what that means. This is how they used to eat back in the day. They would sit at a little table, all of them laying down with each other, and they would eat like this. They didn't like have chairs where they sat down 2,000 years ago in Israel. So if you're trying to picture what was happening there, Jesus is reclining like that at the table, and this woman, Mary— comes up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she pours it on the head of Jesus. It says that she comes to him with an alabaster flask. I'm going to put up a little picture so you can visualize what this is. Alabaster is just a mineral that would be used to create different kinds of utensils in the house. In this case, a flask, which was a jar. In the days of Jesus, when a woman, a young woman, reached the age of uh, availability for marriage, her family would purchase something like this, an alabaster flask, and they would fill it with precious ointment, a combination of oils and spices, whatever they wanted, whatever they chose, however they wanted. And the size of the flask and the value of the ointment would parallel with that young woman's family's wealth. In this case, it appears that maybe Mary's family had some money, 
Because for a young woman making minimum wage, this would have been the equivalent of a year's wage, like 25 grand, $25,000 bottle of basically perfume, right? And this alabaster flask would have been part of her dowry that she would eventually give to her husband. Someday a young man would come and he would ask for her hand in marriage from the father. And if the father said yes, then part of the dowry that would be given would be for this woman to bring this alabaster flask and to bring it before her future husband and to break it before him and anoint his feet with oil, signifying not just I'm honoring you, but also I am yours. And so Mary is there with Jesus. Mary the sister of Lazarus who watched her brother die and be buried and then watched Jesus rise him from the dead. Mary, who when her sister was working, running around the house, getting everything ready for Jesus, she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his words, doing what Jesus called the one necessary, better thing. This is Mary who two days from now would watch Jesus be crucified and then three days after that would be one of the few who was right there first to see Jesus first risen from the dead. Mary knows who Jesus is. And she comes with this alabaster flask of very costly oil. And while Jesus and no doubt others are reclining around the dinner table, she takes this thing and breaks it open and pours it on the head of Jesus. Now, we don't know if she was like, hey, Jesus, it's about to get messy. Like, can I do this thing? Are you cool if I break this open and pour it on you? Or if she just does it, but she does do it. She comes and she breaks this thing on his head. And the disciples are livid. They are indignant, is the word that's used here. But we learn from John's gospel that it wasn't actually all of the disciples. It was really just one. It was Judas. And he was angry, and maybe for good cause. I mean, we're talking $25,000 here. You could do a lot of good with $25,000. Granted, like John says, Judas probably wasn't planning on doing much good with it. He was greedy. But still, the case remains, what a waste, right? Like a $25,000 just thrown out at the feet or the, on the head of Jesus? Like, what, and they say, to, what, what a waste. Why would you waste this? I mean, Mary, if you weren't going to, like, use it for your dowry anyways, why not use it to do some real good? Why not use it to do something that is useful and lasting? But like we'll see, that's exactly what Mary did. Mary actually did the greatest thing with her treasure that she could have. But make no mistake— What she did was not the product of haste. Mary knew that there was a cost involved with her actions, and she knew exactly what it would mean for her. It was very likely that her actions would have cost her access to any kind of normal life for a young woman in Israel, and any kind of normal life a young woman would have dreamed of. This was a key element of her dowry, and now it was gone. This may have taken away her, entirely taken away her chances of ever being married, And if you weren't married back then as a young woman, you didn't have a real identity. Like, you think our culture is oppressive of women? 2,000 years ago, there was no CEOs of companies that were women. There was no women in the workplace. Oprah would have had a fit 2,000 years ago. It was such an oppressive culture for women. That's why when Jesus came, it was so gnarly. It was like liberating women. He was like liberating women. But the culture... If you weren't married, then like, what, what, what were you going to do? This was huge. This was not just some elaborate or wasteful action. This was literally disrupting any future that this woman had. But there was something bigger at play here. And there was something greater than marriage on Mary's heart. 
in mind. Mary knew something that often we don't. Mary knew what mattered most, and it wasn't a normal, safe, comfortable life. It was Jesus. And so in the presence of the leper, whose broken life had been restored by Jesus, and in the presence of her brother Lazarus, whose dead life had been restored by Jesus, and the disciples, in the presence of the disciples, whose broken religious system that they were a part of was being totally turned upside down, and Mary's there, and she pours out the oil on the head of Jesus and breaks this alabaster flask open. And Mary, and as Mary pours out what is most precious to her, she says, in effect, Jesus, all I have is yours. I am literally laying my future, my plans, my life as I have known it before you. And as it broke, that alabaster flask broke, her plans and her future and her life as she knew it broke also. But she saw something that we don't often see. She saw Jesus as better She knew that Jesus was the greatest treasure and a greater treasure. She knew that no eye had seen, no ear had heard, nor had ever entered into the heart of man that which God had prepared for those who love him. And she knew that God had said to her people that he had a plan to give them a hopeful future. And so she let her own plans and dreams of a future break before Jesus. Mary brought what was most precious to her, let it be shattered before Jesus, and in return she received something better. Sometimes in life, dreams have to be shattered in order to make way for something better. And in this we have a lot to learn from Mary who knew that Jesus was better. And who knew that just like the oil of her flask could only get out if it was broken open. So the best stuff in life is found when we allow our plans and our empires that we have built to be torn down and surrender before God. And this type of full abandonment to Jesus wasn't new for Mary, right? Remember, I referenced it a minute ago back in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus went over to the house of Mary and Martha, her sister, and that Mary is Uh, Martha's running around the house. She's in the kitchen. She's making all the preparations. She's working. She's cooking. She's cleaning. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. It says, hearing his word. And Martha, who's from the kitchen, she gets angry. And she's like, Lord, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister's not doing anything and I'm over here working? Tell her to help me. And Jesus responds to Martha and says, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things. There are only a few good things and only one that is necessary. And Mary has chosen that good thing which will not be taken away from her. What are the good things in your life? The good things that you could be doing with your life? Jesus says there's actually only one that's necessary. What is the the greatest treasure in your life? What what in your life is the most fragrant stuff? What's the, the best stuff? What's the most valuable things? What are your greatest assets? Is Christ not worthy of us bringing those to him? Jesus invites us to his table to come and pour out that which is most valuable to us in exchange for something that is far better. Mary may have been given up a very comfortable, normal life, but what she got in exchange, I mean, if you search the entire world for the rest of your life, you'd never find a treasure so great as what she found. Let me ask it another way. 
what could be our greatest act of worship today? What could, could be our greatest act of obedience? What would be the rightest response, the most right response to who Christ is? Do that, and we will never waste our lives. Bring your treasure, but also bring your brokenness. Bring your leprosy. Bring your death. Bring your dead things. Bring your broken things. Bring your fear and your pain and pour that also out at the feet of Jesus. For Mary, this was it. This was it. It wasn't likely that she'd ever get another alabaster flask. Not only was this expensive, but this one act likely changed her life forever. But really, what else is there? What else is there? I mean, if Christ isn't our life, then what are we doing? Like, why are we here? What are we doing with our lives? And we're not willing to pour it all out before him. Then what are we living for? Like the old C.T. Studd poem says, Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Mary gave up what she could not keep in order to gain what she could not lose. She gave up the possibility of an earthly, temporal possibly awesome, but temporal relationship with their future husband in exchange for an eternal relationship with Jesus. A flask that was intended to be broken at the feet of her someday husband, she breaks before Jesus, effectively saying, I am yours. You are mine. I am bound to you forever. These alabaster flasks, they would have become a part of the woman. They would wear them around their necks. They were so much a part of them that they were actually allowed to wear them on the Sabbath. It was like, like their hair almost. It was like literally a part of their body. And this was her scent, right? As it emitted this fragrance, it was her scent. It was her fragrance. When, when, when you smelled it, you were like, oh, Mary, Lazarus' sister is here. She's walking in the room. Kind of like when you walk in and you smell uh, mint and, uh, uh, and citrus and eucalyptus, you're like, oh, Katie Oswald must be at church right now, right? Oh, Katie Rios must be at church She's wearing these wonderful essential oils, and you know, Katie's in the house. People would have known, oh, Ma- Mary must be here. This was her fragrance. This was her scent. This was a part of who she was. It's like when you look at me, you're like, Dom's got dreads. Like, that's part of who Dom is. And as, as far as my earthly, like, outward man goes, this is a massive part. These things are a massive part of my identity. Such was the case with Mary and her oil. And when she broke it open and poured out its contents at the feet of Jesus, she was breaking open and pouring out a part of her very identity. And in exchange, she took on his. So what's yours? What's your identity wrapped up in? What is your treasure of your heart wrapped up in? What is the pain and brokenness that is intertwined in your being? What has become a part of your identity? Pour that out at the feet of Jesus. What will be our response to who Jesus is? Our act of worship to who Jesus is? What will we offer as an act of worship? How will we act as in obedience and surrender to him? Offer it to Jesus. And are people going to think you're crazy? Yeah, maybe. Are people not going to get it? Yeah, probably. Are they going to think maybe you're irresponsible? Sure. Maybe even selfish. Yeah, unwise for sure. But you know what? The people in the room that day thought Mary to be irresponsible, a bad steward, wasteful, unwise, a bad planner, self-centered. Unfortunately, 
in response to most acts of extravagant worship and sacrificial obedience to Christ, this is how people will respond to us. And sadly, so much of it will come from inside the church. And I'm sorry. Listen, I'm sorry on behalf of the church. I'm sorry for when we've responded to what God is doing in your life in that way. Don't let people tell you that you're wasting your time or your life in following Jesus or doing things that might seem a little crazy in partnership with Jesus. You don't have to listen to those people. Nothing that is given to Christ is a waste. The only thing that is wasted is that which is not given to Christ. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on the subject, says, All those who have done wonders for Christ have always been called eccentric and fanatical. Why, when Whitfield first went on Bennington Common to preach because he could not find a building large enough, it was quite an unheard of thing. To preach in the open air? How could you expect God to hear prayer if there was not a roof over the top of people's heads? How could souls be blessed if there had not seats and regular high-backed pews to sit in? Whitfield was thought to be doing something outrageous when he went and did it. He went and broke the alabaster box on the head of his master. And in the midst of scoffs and jeers, he preached in the open air. And what came of it? A revival of godliness and a mighty spread of religion. Listen to this. I wish we were all of us ready to do some extraordinary thing for Christ, willing to be laughed at, to be called fanatics, to be hooted and scandalized because we went out of the common way and were not content with doing what everybody else could do or approve to be done. Do you hear what Charles Spurgeon said? The thing that was the very cause for laughing and mockery in the life of George Whitfield was the thing that God arguably used the most in his life. John tells us that it was Judas who actually speaks up. He was the disciple who actually speaks up and gets angry at uh, at Mary. Judas, the one who betrayed and sold out Jesus. And the life of Judas ended in regret and destruction. Listen, you don't need to give your ears to the Judases in your life. Give your ear to Jesus and those who are speaking like Jesus. Because you know what Jesus said about Mary and her actions. He said, in verse 13, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What? Jesus didn't say that about the disciples who were casting out demons. He didn't say that about Peter who would preach to thousands and thousands who come to know Jesus from his preaching. He didn't say that about Paul the apostle who planted dozens of churches. He didn't even say it about Lazarus who rose from the dead. But he says it about Mary, who brought her act of worship and poured it out before him. I don't know about you, but I want to be found in that company. I want to be found in that company, not in the company of the Judases of the world. Who cares what the people think? The oil was not for the people that day. It was not for anybody else in the room, and it wasn't even for Mary. It was for Jesus, and so is our lives. But listen, if you find yourself more often than not being the naysayer and the whistleblower in response to what the people of God are doing around you, you need to check yourself and like make sure that you know exactly what you are doing. Because if those people are hearing from God, they are walking in the Spirit, you are not in good company. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. If you find yourself being the accuser of the brethren, you better make sure those people are way off 
like way outside of who God is and like full-on heretical. Otherwise, you are joining in company with Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren. You don't want to be found in that company. Blessed is the person who sits not in the seat of the scornful, Psalm 1 says. Be found in the company of Jesus and in the company of Mary, pouring out what is most valuable to us, even if it seems absurd to everybody else around us. The difference between Mary and Judas is that Mary saw Jesus worth her entire life and her whole future. Judas saw Jesus worth about 30 pieces of silver. And for some of us, we're not far from this. Instead of exchanging what we have to gain intimacy with Jesus, we end up giving up intimate relationship with Jesus in exchange for the cheap, worthless thrills of this life. Let this question be a litmus test for us. Where's your treasure? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Brokenness was always the plan. Brokenness in the life of Mary was the plan. And this was the fragrance of brokenness as she pours out what was most valuable to her. And Jesus receives the broken vessel of expensive perfume, turning the wasting of this woman's life into an act of worship. As I sat with this passage this week, I was struck with the reality that not only did Mary do this without knowing it as a preparation for Jesus' burial, like Jesus said, but also how her act was literally a living parable and a foreshadowing of what was about to come when Jesus would be crucified two days later. Listen, Jesus was the ultimate alabaster flask, broken as an act of worship to the Father on our behalf. I don't think you heard that because that was good. Jesus was the ultimate alabaster flask broken as an act of worship to the Father on our behalf. (laughs) For the record, I can brag about how good that was because that was a Chattamico nug from our preaching meeting. Jesus went before us in offering his best as an act of worship. And all of creation echoed in what was happening on the cross. Listen, by God's own doing, he had confined himself for thousands of years to the Ark of the Covenant and confined his presence for thousands of years to the Holy of Holies. And humanity, we were outside in the outer court, separated from God because of our sin. And yet God wanted nothing more than for us to experience the fullness of who he was, just like the, 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 the dry earth experiences and receives the, the, the nourishment of the rain. God wanted us to experience the fullness of who he was, and so he sends Jesus. And like the prophet Isaiah wrote, then Jesus is pierced, pierced. He's broken open for our transgressions, and he is crushed. He's broken for our iniquities. Like an alabaster flask, Christ is broken open, and as he breathes his last breath, On the cross, it said that darkness filled the whole earth. The sun goes away. And then what happened? Earthquakes. The earth breaks open. And then what happens? The tombs break open. People start rising from the dead. And then in his death, the sting of death is broken. And the power of sin and the power of hell is broken. Everything, the entire earth, the whole world, the whole deal is broken. The chains of sin are broken. The veil in the temple, it breaks. 
that the, the, the box, the Ark of the Covenant, where God can find his presence, the walls like break off, and he's like, hey, hey, all of the earth echoes Christ's broken body. And as his body is broken, God pours himself out. His glory and his presence and his power is poured out on the whole earth. Like Isaiah said, the whole earth is full of his glory. It was as if the divine alabaster flask had been broken open and God poured himself out like the rain upon the earth as he foretold the prophet, through the prophet Isaiah, I will pour out water on thirsty land and I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And like he said to the prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And just like the fragrance of Mary's offering filled the whole house that day, the fragrance of Christ's offering filled the whole earth that day. And not just the whole earth, but Christian, our whole being the presence that once was confined to the Ark of the Covenant and to the Holy of Holies now fills you. What? Yes, you yourselves are the temple of God. You are the dwelling place of God. You are the fragrance of Christ. Brokenness was always the plan. And this was the fragrance of brokenness as through his brokenness, Jesus broke everything that separated us from the Father. The life of Jesus had to be broken. The pure, spotless, perfect life of Jesus had to be broken and in exchange, the glory and power and presence of God was poured out. And Christ invites us into this same thing. Now, I know that doesn't sound that fun and it's not necessarily that fun. But it is glorious. Listen, Jesus pushed through the breaking of the cross for what was on the other side, which was the joy that was set before him. He invites us into this as well. He invites us into this exchange. He invites us to experience the fragrance of brokenness. These alabaster jars, like I said, they were often hung around a woman's neck. And so they would act in that way like a perfume, and they would emit just a hint, just because it was sealed up, like sealed up. So it would emit just a hint of what was inside. But as the jar hung there, there was no way for the fullness of what was inside to get out unless it was broken. It had to be broken. And Christ invites us into this same thing. Listen, don't tune out. I think some of us need to hear this today. Often the Christian must experience divine crushing in order for the fragrance of Christ to pour out of us. I don't know why exactly this is, but I know it's true. Maybe it's because as we suffer, we suffer with Christ. Because there's fellowship, it's the Greek word koinonias, a, a, a partnership, a camaraderie, a sharing with Christ as we suffer. And somehow in the mystery of God, the fragrance of Christ is 
poured out through our lives as we suffer with him? I don't know, but I know this, that the fragrance of Christ does come out in God. God's glory does shine through our lives. The fragrance of who God is is emitted as we suffer with Christ. The kingdom of God is upside down. It's an upside down kingdom. The first shall be last. And if you want to get ahead, you better humble yourself and serve. The kingdom of God is upside down. In the kingdom of God, death brings life. In the kingdom of God, God exchanges beauty for ashes, but doesn't just exchange. In the kingdom of God, God makes beauty from ashes. In the kingdom of God, life comes from death. And we see it in the way that God has designed all of the universe. All of creation echoes this. It is the process of life, death, new life. That is the process of everything. You look at the trees, the leaves, they die, new ones blossom. Our cells, every seven years, they die, regenerate new ones. Those hills out there that were absolutely destroyed by the fires, they're going to start blossoming up the most beautiful green stuff we've ever seen. That is how life works as Jesus gave his, uh, his life. He died on the cross. From that, the death of the old covenant came and life of the new covenant of grace was born. In the kingdom of God, death brings life. And in the kingdom of God, broken things produce beauty. Like Zach Schellerberger said in our preaching in this meeting this week, I think God likes it when things break because that's when the beauty really comes out. I think he's right. For those of you who are feeling like, dude, I'm just in the middle of that breaking, bro. I'm just right in the middle of it right now. I know it's hard to see past the trial, but you have no clue what God is doing behind the scenes. And you have no clue what God is doing in you and pulling out of you. You may not even be able to realize it, but the goodness, the pure nard, as the King James calls it, is maybe just right at the surface. And it may not be able to be poured out until you are broken open. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Brokenness yields healing. Brokenness is required for restoration. So then, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, <clears throat> and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You have no clue what God is up to in the midst of what seems like nothing more than a broken life. There is no olive oil without the crushing of olives. There is no tasty walnut without the crushing of the shell. There is no diamond without the forging, the pressure of the earth. There's no pure gold without the refiner's fire. We see it through all of creation. There's no pure nard without brokenness. God uses breaking to bring it out. God uses breaking to bring out what is hidden in us. Death brings life. Death does not get the final word, guys. In the kingdom of God, death does not have the final word. In the kingdom of God, God flips the whole thing upside down and death brings life. I got this um, tattoo. It's huge and big and it hurt a lot. Um, 
about six months ago. Shout out to Neil Perro, who's here, who designed the whole thing. And this tattoo is so huge because it represents 21 things in my life. There's 21 elements on this tattoo. I got it just a few months before what would have been our baby boy's third birthday. Um, A little Nehemiah who we lost to a birth defect after 22 hours of being alive. You know, when we found out that he had a terminal disease, and then watching him fight for his life after he, after he was born, and then watching him take his last breath in our arms, and then dealing with the aftermath of all of that mentally, emotionally, spiritually, was the hardest thing that I've ever been through. But these 21 elements <clears throat> on this tattoo, every single one of them represents a gigantic sector of my life that was absolutely transformed as a result of my heart and my life breaking by the death of our baby. And somehow, it took me three years to get there, but somehow every day I am thankful to God. I'm thankful to Nehemiah, and I'm even thankful to the breaking, to the brokenness for doing its perfect work in me and producing in my heart and my life things that could have never been produced any other way. God uses breaking and death and loss of things to bring about good stuff. And often, most times, the best stuff only comes through some kind of breaking, some kind of loss, some kind of dying, some kind of suffering. It wasn't that the oil in the flask had no use before it was broken. It still smelled lovely, no doubt. But the best stuff and the fullness of what was inside could only come out after the breaking. And in God's love, he will sometimes allow breaking into our lives because he sees what is on the other side. He sees what is hidden in the flask of our lives, in the flask of our person, because he put it there long ago, and he wants to see it come out. And so he will sometimes, in his love, allow breaking in order to bring it out. And unfortunately, just like this alabaster flask that Mary had, there is no clean shortcut to extract all the goodness from what is inside of us. There was no cork on this flask that could just cleanly and quietly be removed in order to pour out the oil. It had to be broken. Sometimes there is just no shortcut to God producing in you what he wants to. Does that make it any more enjoyable? No, not really. But it does help us to understand that there's something bigger going on than what we can see in front of us, like Paul says in Romans 5, so then we can actually even rejoice we can actually rejoice in these sufferings knowing that they are not just being done to us, but they're working something in us. He says they are producing in us good stuff like patience and perseverance and endurance and character and ultimately the kind of hope that does not disappoint. So don't resist it. I know it hurts, but don't resist it. You have to lean into it because God in all of his infinite wisdom and love is working in you something far better and eternal. And believe it or not, it's not, it's for his glory and it's for your good. Are you waiting for some kind of breakthrough in your life? Are you waiting for some kind of God's pouring out of his presence and his power in your life? Are you waiting for the anointing of God's oil to pour over you in your life? Brokenness precedes anointing. Brokenness precedes breakthrough. And brokenness precedes blessing. 
So let it come and let God do his perfect work in you. He is using your situation to press you like the olive press, to forge you like the diamonds. He is using your situation to break the alabaster flask of your life so that the hidden, eternally valued divine treasures inside of you can begin to pour out. I'll end with this. You know what the greatest treasure has been through the breaking in my own life? It's been the treasure of knowing Jesus. It's what this house on this part of my tattoo represents. Jesus bringing me home. And bringing me into a whole new dimension of knowing him in a way that I didn't even know was possible. And this is what Mary was after that day. And she got it. She got the treasure of knowing him. Paul said, I consider everything loss. Why? In exchange for, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And so I consider it all garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow also attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Brokenness was always the plan. This is the fragrance of brokenness. And if we're willing to embrace brokenness and loss, and the fragrance we gain is the greatest treasure of all in knowing Christ. Let's pray. Just imagine your face, Jesus. As Mary literally poured out her entire future before you. As the dreams she had as a kid and as a junior high girl broke before you. As people, her friends would have just thought she was absurd. As even the older men in the room thought she was just ridiculous. Just imagine your face smiling at her, you said, no, what this woman has done is beautiful. You can't see it, but I see it. Lord, you know what we don't know. That you are the greatest treasure. That we were created to have relationship with you and everything else is just a shadow of that. Every earthly relationship here It's just a shadow of our relationship with you. All the the earthly treasures we could get are just a shadow of the treasure that is you. All the stuff we could obtain is just a shadow of the infinite wealth that you are. Would you help us to see that today? What is already true in in the heavens? Would you help our hearts to see that today?